Where is it? It's you again? <laughs> Damn. I just can't get away from you. Nope. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Stop it! Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back to the bins. I got nowhere else to go! I got nowhere else to go! I got nothing else. Hello and welcome to Back to the Bins. Thank you for joining us for yet another score episode. This one is for WandaVision, which uh, is now playing on Disney+. And I hope you guys are watching because this is probably going to be a spoiler-filled discussion of the uh, episodes that are out so far this is our uh, shameless obligatory uh, coattails riding episode all about wandavision and uh i'm scott gardner joining me as always is my buddy producer paul spataro hey what's up <laughs> and a blast from the past <laughs> I haven't been on here in quite a long time on the Two True Freaks Network. I'm trying to remember if you've ever been on Back to the Bins at all, and I think so, but I, gosh, it's been such a long time. But anyway, joining us sure is, <laughs> is Darren Steves from the Definitive Geek Podcast. Thank you for having me, Scott. It's, uh, it was a lot of fun. I'm glad you reached out to me the other day and uh, and said, hey, do you want to be on Back to the Bins again? And Because and, we were talking about podcasting, and I said, yeah, we just started podcasting again. And, and uh, we, used to, we But I think I had been on Back to the Bins uh, in the past, and, and I know I've had you on my our show but way back in the – in the before time, before the, before the dark ages, <laughs> before the empire, yeah, exactly. <laughs> before the empire, that is that that is that is the coof. But uh, I don't know. If, I don't know if you talk about that about the dark times on on the show or not. But anyways, we try not to. <laughs> well, so Wandavision. Uh, I take it both you guys are watching. Oh heck yeah! Yes, sir. What are we thinking so far? Why don't you go first? Well, uh, I was going to say it has gotten a lot better. I mean, the first two episodes were meant to be campy, cheesy fun, right? Just just a throwback to the er, the fifties and sixties era TV shows, just and just have a little, have a little play in it, and then uh, and now they've really started to hit the meat of their of the story that they're telling. So, the, the, for the folks who hung on, and just said, "Oh, the, you know, the first couple episodes were boring, so I'm not going to watch it." Well, then you you're sadly missing out because now they've got a dedicated story, and you can see what you can see where it's progressing. So it's it's excellent in that regard. So, yeah. Now, just for just for context, I know Paul's going to try to get this one edited and up as quickly as possible. For but just for context, as we record this. We're actually recording this on a Thursday night, the night before episode 
Help me out, the guy. Six is going to de- debut. So yeah, episode five is the latest episode as we record this. Mm-hmm. So there's probably going to be even bigger mind blowing uh, revelations that'll have happened by the time you're hearing this episode. But for us at the moment, the biggest one was uh, the the knock at the door and the person at the door at the end oh. of episode five. So that was that was excellent. And we and, and Blake and I just talked about that. Uh, um, as part of our you know discussion about the multiverse uh, last the other night on our show that'll be out in the next week or two um, about how the, how they using that to tie to tie in spoilers both the, the MCU to the Fo- the Fox X Men universe. That's, I that's certainly the way hope I see so. It, yeah. Well, we will talk about that in just a second. I, I have a feeling I cut Paul off, so I want to get, let okay. Paul go with his thoughts before I, I run with mine. Well, when after I watched the first two episodes, uh, I was giving it an incomplete. Uh, I was I was amused by the parody of the you know sixty fifties and sixties sitcoms that we were seeing, but I wasn't sure if I was really going to you know to to relate to what they were giving us. Uh, and I know uh, Dave Pascarella and I had uh, you know had. I don't remember if it was a conversation or if it was a Facebook post, but one or the other. And he was saying something to the effect that, you know, he, he wasn't, he and his wife weren't so crazy about it. And my response was, well, I'm going to wait and see because it really, you, you know, there's going to be a payoff to all of this. And it depends on what the payoff is. And now each episode that's progressed, you know, without going too spoiler heavy here, uh, they've given a little bit more of an insight into what's going on and every little insight they've given us into what's going on has made it more and more interesting to me to the point where now it's Thursday night and I'm really looking forward to watching tomorrow's episode. Uh, I, I, I think, you know, one of the most, I mean, from a storytelling point of view or from a kind of from an Oh shit point of view, uh, the knock on the door was very, very cool. Uh, but from a narrative point of view, the fact that Wanda is completely aware of what she's doing shocked me. Mm. I expected it to be that she was kind of just, you know, that she had gone a little uh, subconsciously crazy and was doing this without even realizing that she was doing it. That was, that was what I fully anticipated. And then when, you know, when she came out and confronted uh, the people, you know, the, the military and when, uh, when she had them, again, I don't want to go too spoiler heavy, but when she had them actually aim their guns at their leader, it seemed so reminiscent of Magneto in the first X-Men movie. Yes. That, that yeah, it, it, you know, I, I, think, I think they were trying to call us back to that. And it makes her so much more of a three-dimensional character, character because, you know, she's not just you know, a, a good guy in end of story. She's more complex than that. And I like the complexity. I, I really do enjoy that when they give us characters that have some weight to them. So uh, I'm, I'm totally on board now. Like I said, after the first two episodes, I was very up in the air, and I am totally on board hook, line, and sinker now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Every, everything yeah. that was right on point, so for sure. So... I I seem to be the only person that I know that I you know that, that I've talked to or even you know read comments or anything online. I think I'm the only one. <laughs> I feel like I'm the only one anyway 
that was pretty much on board right at the get go. And I, I, I think there's two big reasons for that was that I didn't expect them to stick with the initial feel of the show for very long. And I think them airing both the first and episode together as the premiere was a very smart move because then that got the fifties element out of the way. It got the, you know, that feel that era was, was done. And then we jumped forward. Now, if it had been, I don't know how many episodes this thing is supposed to be, but if it had been say 12 episodes, uh, you know, set in, uh, you know, the Dick, Dick Van Dyke universe, you know, Dick Van Dyke show universe, then I don't think I'd still be on board as much, but I understood what they were going for, and I understood that there were bigger things at play here and that, that it was playing into a bigger narrative and that it was hopefully going to go in interesting places, which it most definitely has. So I was I was willing to have the patience with it. And also, I think, depending on... I think your age depends a lot on the experience that you have because a lot of the negative comments I was reading online... I, I really got the sense, and in some cases they came right out and said that they had no touch point with that era. You know, they hadn't mm. grown up in the era of black and white TV, or they hadn't grown up in the era of, you know, replaying old sitcoms, you know, from the black and white era. So, you know, kids, you know, I hate to, you know, sound like an old man, kids today, but it, that's what it is. Your kids today, they just don't have a feel for the Dick Van Dyke show or the honeymooners or leave it to beaver or any of that classic stuff. I do. I mean, I won't say I necessarily grew up with it, but I grew up with, you know, that being in reruns and would occasionally catch it. So I had a respect for the era that they were trying to encapsulate. So there was that, but then the other big thing is, you know, you guys know I'm, I'm, I'm really big into film score music and right out of the gate, you know, seeing that, Christoph Beck was scoring this thrilled me no end because I love the work he's done in the MCU so far. He did both of the Ant-Man scores and those are a couple of the best scores in the entire MCU. And I'm loving the work he's doing with this because he's nailing the feel of the eras that he's doing. I mean, the guy's just an incredible composer. So I really liked the the music and it played into the, the feel of, of all of that. Um, so, you know, I was I was pretty much on board right at the get go, but I'm really liking <clears throat> a lot of things about the show. I'm liking that it's playing with, you know, the whole established universe so far. So, I mean, it's pulling in a lot of diverse characters from all different facets of the MCU. And I really enjoy that. You know, that mm. that's really neat that it's drawing in, you know, Marcy from Thor and uh, Jimmy Woo from Ant-Man. And, you know, it's. Uh, bringing in Monica Rambeau from Captain Marvel. So, you know, so all these different facets that otherwise don't really interact or know each other are suddenly pulled together in this storyline. And then Paul touched on something that uh, has been on my mind a lot is that I like, you know, you use the word complexity. Um, that's, that's a great way to put it. I like the complexity they're showing of Wanda Maximoff because I think at this point, Ever since Civil War, this has kind of been on my mind, and it was rewatching Age of Ultron recently that really got me to think about it. You know, Ultron had predicted her to be almost almost the big villain in a lot of ways because he he makes a comment something about how she would tear them apart, which she ended up doing. Her actions in Civil War directly 
resulted in the Civil War and the fracture of the Avengers, which had you know big and lasting consequences to the, the MCU. And now, you know, with what happened to the Vision and her having skipped those five years with with the snap and everything, you know, that pain of Vision's death is still fresh and new for her. She hasn't had five years to acclimate. So what she's doing, her actions right now, very much put her as threat number one. You know, we've all been trying to predict, you know, who is going to be the next big bad after Thanos. I don't think anybody really saw Scarlet Witch coming. And that's kind of what she's she's ramping up to be. I mean, I don't think she she's going to be a, that in the long run, though. No, no, I don't either. I'm hoping that there's a redemption arc in here somewhere. But for the moment, in universe, she's the next big threat. And that's pretty cool. That's pretty interesting because she definitely has that power set where she, you know, she's a cosmic level threat mm. uh, in a lot of ways because of, you know, the power that she wields. So that that's exciting. That That's cool stuff. You know, I don't think anybody coming into those first couple episodes, especially the people that were bitching about, you know, how slow it was and the black and white or anything. I don't think anybody really saw this coming. And... I think that's why the last couple of episodes have been so exciting because you're suddenly getting a sense of just what the threat level is and what's going on. And then, uh, you know, the, the big thing for me was, you know, the end of the last episode, the end of episode five. Now, you know, again, spoiler warning, if, if you're not watching the show or you don't want to be spoiled, skip ahead or don't listen past this point. So you've been warned. But, uh, you know, for it to be not only Pietro at the door, but the Pietro, you know, the, the Quicksilver from the X-Men films, the Fox films. And what a great line. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Him. yeah. Yeah. She just just hang, hangs a, a, a lantern on it, right? It's like just just so here, yeah. you know, that, oh, yeah, this, this is this is supposed to be Pietro, but where's this Pietro from? So if you had never watched the X-Men, you, you, you wouldn't know that. But that's that's the other beauty, beautiful thing about um the Wanda vision that that guys like us get that extra layer to it, whereas the you know the and I can see the younger people not understanding the first two episodes because of the of the throwbacks on the familiarity with those old TV shows that you you know us three would, but as it has the story is we're also aware of Wanda from the comics. House of M and and all and what her powers are her true power sets are, so we can understand where she you know she's uh, where she can go like and they've been ramping her powers up in in the MCU you know start off with kind of telepathy and telekinesis and then it's sort of growing from there right but her I think she's getting right. more powerful in the MCU and just not realizing it so. But some, something also worth mentioning is uh, a good friend of mine who is not particularly into the MCU movies and has never had a background with comic books. Uh, you know, asked me the other day, Are "You watching WandaVision?" And I said yes. And he told me uh, he he basically you know just watched all five episodes in one sitting and he's absolutely hooked because he loved the parody end of it. The part of it that, that kind of left me, uh, you know, scratching my head and wondering if I was going to like it was what totally hooked him. That's yeah, cool. that is cool. Now, but I think if if the story had just stayed them doing parody episodes, 
then that I don't think that would hold up, you know, any viewer for the entire series, right? I, I right. think there had to be a story within a story, and uh, it wouldn't have helped not, me. So. I could tell you, no, that. no, it wouldn't have. A couple episodes were good, but they had, and that was just just enough episodes, just enough taste for the for the parody fun. But you know, let's let's see what's really going on here. We know there's more to it. So now, before we move on to the comics that we're going to cover, uh, I just had a quick question for you because this came up in a, in a discussion I had uh, recently with someone. Do you think the Pietro at the door? is literally the Pietro from the X-Men movie universe, or is it just using that actor as a wink and a nod? Now, me personally, I think it's really him. And I think it is too, I, because they're making it such a big deal about the multiverse. Right. Mm, yeah. Like, there's that, and I, I think at this point, you know, Kevin Feige has, has generated incredible goodwill with with me with with the fan base i think this guy really gets it i i think he really understands the fan mentality what makes us happy you know he really understands the the marvel fans you know the both the readers and the movie watchers and i think he understands that if they have that reveal in one episode and then down the line it's revealed that, oh, we just did that as a wink and a nod, but it's not really him. We just kind of, you know, used him, you know, type of thing that that wouldn't be enough for, you know, that, that we would be so disappointed in that, that, that they hadn't pulled that trigger that I think, yeah, I think they pulled that trigger. I, I think that's definitely who he is. And I'm so Friggin' excited for that. I think yeah. that's cool. I think ultimately that what she's done in, in West Westfield Westview or Westfield doesn't matter. What the, the, the town? Yeah. Westfield, yeah, yeah. That I think it's some sort of nexus of reality because, like, like you said, Paul, they they're they've been wanting to play with the multiverse. They played with it in Spider Man. They played with it, you know, in, in especially in um, into the Spider Verse. They want to get into that. Um, multi multiverse aspect of it they've now that fox is owned by disney they need to bring the x-men they can finally bring the x-men home to the marvel universe prop you know in the cinematic universe so by bringing that in it's sort of okay well here's the nexus here's where all these x-men were before now they're kind of, now they've got a, a way in a portal in through through wanda or whatever and P pietro being the you know pietro and wanda being the bridge as it as it were, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and and they are Exciting saying stuff. basically coming right out and saying that WandaVision is going to lead directly into Doctor Strange two. Yeah, uh, I'm just hoping we have a satisfactory end to WandaVision, even though you could leave the door open for something bigger to happen in Doctor Strange. I don't want it to be, you know, where it's just to be continued. Yeah. Right. Yeah. See, I, see, I thought Doctor Strange was going to deal with. Uh, uh, Doctor Doctor Druid, you know, and or you know, was it was Doctor Druid or Baron Mordo, the the guy that uh, Chiwetel Elijah Four was. Uh, Wardo, yeah. Yeah, Wardo, yeah. yeah. I, I thought he was gonna. I thought that was the next big uh, story for them, but uh, so, but we'll see how Doctor Strange, pull, you know, comes out because I, I enjoyed the Doctor Strange. And I like I like their take on magic in uh, in the MCU proper as opposed to 
typical, you know, arc- arcaneness of it. But yeah. Well, my understanding is we're also supposed to be directly relating to the next Spider-Man movie, which is going to be a multiverse story as well. Because yeah. as we've all heard, Tobey Maguire and uh, I can't think of the other. And- Andrew, Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield are, are both supposed to be in it, as well as Jamie Foxx and uh, and Alfred Molina, the, the Captain the Doc yeah, Ock. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, so bringing all that in, that's that's going to be not crazy. Now, hopefully, when they bring in Venom, they'll bring in uh, Tom Hardy's Venom, not Topher Grace's, but Venom, because that would be bad. <laughs> <laughs> of the two Venoms. Even my wife and Venom is not what you would call. It's not meant to be a fun movie, right? He's not a fun character. My wife loved Venom. We watched that the uh, month or so ago, and it was just because it was hysterically funny. I mean, it was a good story. He's dark, but it was a you know hysterically funny movie. But uh, that's another. No, you haven't. Yeah, they're both good. They're, it's good. So, but well, that's a story for another day, I think. So we probably need to get. <laughs> we we did do a score and... episode on that, but we never, I never saw the movie. <laughs> never watched. The, movie. <laughs> uh, the music was good, starring. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, but uh, you know, right, so, reckoning well, in the Marvel universe. But yeah. So as we wait for this to continue, maybe it's time to take a look at a couple of the comics featuring WandaVision. Right, yes, exactly. Yep. So we're going to dive in. We're going to look at uh, several issues here, all related to Vision and or the Scarlet Witch. And uh, I've got the first book. We're kind of going in uh, date order here. So I'm going to take us back to July 1973 for the uh, Avengers number 113. Now, this was actually on sale, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, on April 17th, 1973. I had just turned all of five years old. Uh, Cover price was 20 cents. Now, the cover on this is by Rich Buckler and Joe Sinnott. It depicts the Avengers defending the Vision, who is suffering from the worst Charlie horse I've ever seen, while the Scarlet Witch yells at clouds. That's essentially the cover you've got on, on this particular one. Now, what do you guys think of the cover on this? For oh, some reason, okay. every time I look at this cover, even though Captain America is punching somebody so hard that he's <laughs> flying through the air, in my mind, I see... That coming from the Scarlet Witch, like, you know, that arm that she has in the air, as if she's throwing that guy. But how hard do you have to punch somebody to throw him that far? You would think that'd take his head right off. Yeah, he he would be decapitated is what he would be. And Thor, much as he's doing inside the issue, is actually hitting people with his hammer. Yeah, yeah. Extra-dimensional... uh, stone, you know, piece of metal or stone, which I guess because sometimes they portray it as stone, but I think it's more metal. But the you know, Uru metal, but you know, they would he be they, these guys would be taking their heads clean off. But it's kind of remind Scarlet Witch is kind of reminding me of of uh, Captain Kirk, <laughs> or not not Kirk, sorry, um, um, Charlton Heston in Planet of the Apes. <laughs> damn you, you blew it up! Damn you all to hell! But I, I, I got to say, from a purely from an artistic point of view, I'm a little disappointed knowing that this is Rich Buckler and Joe Sinnott. I expect better. Yeah, 
Yeah, I will agree with you there. I, you know, I love both those guys. I'm a huge uh, Rich Buckler fan, and yeah, this isn't the best Buckler, but there's there are a couple elements I really do like though. Uh, for one, I mean, you know, like I say, uh, look at the the look on Vision. I mean, he's supposed to be dead according to Scarlet Witch, but it looks more like he's going like, oh crap, crap, oh crap, crap. <laughs> <laughs> but my Favorite thing of all. Now, she's screaming at the sky. She's going, you killed him, world. You killed the man I love, and I'm going to make you pay. Now, look at the look on Iron Man. He's like, the hell did you just say? <laughs> I love the look. <laughs> he's so distracted by what she said and looking yeah. back at her that he's completely missing anybody that he's shooting his repulsor ray at. I love it. What the fuck? He accidentally hits Cap. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if this wasn't signed by the artists and you told me this was Don Heck, I wouldn't question it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I don't know that I would have been able to, to pick out that this was Rich Buckler or, or Joe Sinnott for that reason. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah, it's, could, it's, could, could it be that there, it was just early in their career or were these guys well established by this point? Uh, I think it's fairly early in Buckler's career, but Senate had been going for a while. By yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It also, you know, it it might be not be their best work, but they might have had they had, might have had to rush it out. You never know. So, I don't think it's particularly bad, but I think it's for the era. For the era, yeah, it's about right for the era. It's it's not a bad cover. <laughs> it's just knowing the work that those two artists have put out in their careers, I expect better. Yes. Yeah, I would say it's, it's, it may be, you know, it's, it's not typical Buckler as we would come to know Buckler, but it may be as, as D-Man says, it might be typical Buckler for the time because um, as huge a fan as, as I am of Buckler, uh, his run on Avengers, which is right in this general time frame right here, it, it's not some of my favorite stuff because it, it doesn't, it's not as refined and doesn't have as much of his distinctive signature style as he would eventually develop later on. So, yeah. Did he do the issues early in the 100s with against the Sentinels? Because I seem to remember really liking those. Yes. Yeah. The, there's at least that one Sentinel issue. It's like 103, 104. Like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. He did that one. All right. So the story on this one is entitled "Your Young Men Shall Slay Visions." It is written by Steve Englehart with art by Bob Brown and Frank Bull. Uh, at least I, I'm assuming it's pronounced Bull. Uh, John Costanza was the letter, and Mike's brother Dave Hunt uh, did the colors. Roy <laughs> Thomas was the editor. On Liberty Island, the mighty Avengers, consisting of Iron Man, Black Panther, The Vision, Captain America, The Scarlet Witch, and Thor, repair and reconstruct Lady Liberty after the thrashing she suffered at the hands of the monster called Gog in the pages of the Kazar feature in Astonishing Tales number 18. Wanda is almost smashed by falling debris when the Vision charges to her rescue and assumes a diamond-hard form to shield her from harm. Grateful, she embraces the vision and lays one on him. This is witnessed by a crowd of onlookers below, one of whom is incensed by the sight of an android kissing a mutant. 
News travels fast, and soon it seems the whole town is buzzing with the revelation of the blooming romance between the Vision and the Scarlet Witch. Mike Williams, a news reporter, solicits civilians for man-on-the-street opinions, and while most are positive, not everyone is happy about this development. Inside Avengers Mansion, the couple are nervous but cautiously optimistic about the mostly positive reception. Meanwhile, the incensed man, having spotted the pair inside the mansion, telephones his people and calls a meeting. Captain America, in the meantime, is going through the Avengers mailbag and comments on how they haven't received this much congratulatory mail since the engagement of Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne. Then Cap is stopped dead by an unexpected, badly misspelled letter from a (laughs) friend, quote-unquote, F-R-E-N-D. Yes. Stating, among other things, that only the Lord can create life and that androids, it's not androids, it's misspelled, androids, are agents of the devil and will bring hellfire and brimstone to America. Enraged, Cap crushes the letter and angrily tosses it into the fireplace, shouting, Mr. Friend, I don't know about your God, but a God of love is mine. I love that. Mr. Friend makes his way to his secret meeting. Uh, We are treated to more scenes of citizens wishing the Vision and Scarlet Witch well. In a darkened warehouse, Mr. Friend works his people into a frenzy regarding the fact that the Vision is an android and non-human, stating that he must die in order to ensure humanity never becomes second-class citizens to a race of super robots. To accomplish this, His followers are revealed to be explosives-wearing human bomb zealots willing to blow themselves up in order to accomplish their mission. The Avengers, meanwhile, are beating the holy hell out of some visiting Illinois Nazis. Afterward, a crowd gathers to congratulate the team. A woman pushes her way through to the vision where she slams her hands down on the trigger atop her head and blows herself up real good, critically injuring the vision as well. He is rushed to Tony Stark's Long Island plant where Thor's alter ego, Don Blake, and Iron Man's alter ego, Tony Stark, along with T'Challa, the Black Panther, all work to save the synthesoid man's life. Mr. Friend, having learned of the Vision's condition and whereabouts from news reports, rallies his remaining people to storm Stark Industries and finish the job. They are met by Captain America and the Scarlet Witch, who do a valiant job defending the team working to save the Vision. Having sussed out each other's secret IDs, Iron Man and Thor take turns caring for Vision and combating bad guys until, finally, the son of Odin has had enough and whips up a tempest to carry the kooks into the sky where they all detonate themselves. No joke. The battle ended. Tony Stark emerges to proclaim that the Vision has made it. He'll pull through. But the experience has tainted the Scarlet Witch. Her resentment at being feared and hated by humans reignited, she storms off, proclaiming that if uh, that if it's the two of us against the world, that's the way it will be. But look out, world. And that's our issue. What'd you guys think of this one? I'm sorry I had to laugh, but some of those were so <laughs> true, and so because some of this was a little goofy. But the story overall <laughs> was was entertaining. I mean, yes, clearly they they were you know the the pseudo Nazis. They're you know b- black guys and all there, and they don't care about the color as long as they're they're not they're not uh, that 
the, the mutants not falling in love with her artificial man, you know, or her right. or, you know, her prosthesis, as as we shall say. But because uh, <laughs> I always get that, I always get that when it comes to this vision. It's like he he's not real. So basically, that's uh, he's a pleasure bot, you know, a sex bot at this point for. But. <laughs> But uh, no, but it's a good story, and I didn't realize that at, even at this point that they had not revealed all their secret identities to each other. Because I like that Cap's getting really ticked off at Thor and Iron Man because they're they just took off. They don't he doesn't know where they are because he doesn't know that Don Blake and 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 uh, and Tony are, are in working on Vision, right? So their alter egos are just kind of hanging around. It's like, well. Okay, guys, that you work on them, but I need Thor and Iron Man to help out, take out these uh, these 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 psychotics. So, but uh, no, it was it was a good story for the most part. So, what did you think, Paul? The first thing that jumped out at me is that apparently in in their world, the Statue of Liberty is made of stone. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. That is actually my second note on this is, is there rock in the Statue of Liberty? Because I thought she was entirely made of copper. Yeah, that's my understanding as well. So, uh, you know, that that just seems a little weird the way it's uh, portrayed here. But, uh, you know, whenever they – whenever Marvel – and probably DC as well, but uh, I'm more well-versed with Marvel – whenever their Silver and Bronze Age – writers attempted to have some sort of a story that would, you know, the message would be about, you know, unfair prejudice or racism or whatever the case may be. They tended to be a little preachy in how they presented it. And yeah. this, this one falls into that, that mm. as well, you know, the, the, the characters become almost, uh, you know, almost caricatures uh, because they're just so far gone in, in that respect. But, that aside, I found it to be a very entertaining issue. Uh, I, I don't know that the human bombs are the best uh, best designed detonators to have to push down on your head. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll go with that. And I've never been much of a Bob Brown fan. I, I'm not crazy about his artwork. Oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but, I, but I do enjoy the story in general. That's... yeah. And 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 the artwork. I mean, let me even clarify. I feel like the artwork is acceptable. It just isn't as clean as I would like. Let's leave it at that. Well, I'm going to jump to my my last note first, just because you you brought up Bob Brown. Um, I've always been a big fan of Bob Brown's work on Superboy. Um, it's one of the reasons I, I have such a. a, a a soft spot for Bob Brown was because uh, his work on Superboy was, I mean, it just, it was when I was growing up, you know, he was, he was the artist on those issues that I was tracking down as back issues and such. And so I've just had a real uh, affinity for that work because of that. I don't generally care for his work on other characters. I, I like this, but I think it's more sentiment speaking than anything else. Um, but yeah, him and Joe Staten, th- those two artists, I mean, they they are essentially, you know, they were the artists of, of my Superboy. Uh, and 
it's funny uh, because I, I guess I never really cared for his art beyond Superboy. I never really followed his career or whatever. And uh, reading this and realizing that he was the artist, it got me to wondering about him. And I, I wondered what became of him. And so I, I did some checking into that. And I was really sad to learn. I, I never knew this before, but uh, apparently he died in uh, in 1977. He was only 61 and he died of leukemia. And if you ever uh, get your hands on any August 77 cover dated issues of Marvel, uh, there's al- actually a eulogy in there for him that was actually really nice and, and very touching. But uh, but yeah, I, I like like I say, I like his stuff on Superboy um, outside of that. Um, I mean, it's OK. I've never I've never been super crazy about anything. He also uh, did a lot of Batman, too, um, I think just prior to um when Neil Adams made a big splash in Batman and detective comics, I think he was the regular artist on, on, I think both of those titles right around that time. Um, anyway, um, I'm, I picked this issue, uh, for pure sentiment. I could remember that it started with a little bit of romance between Scarlet witch and the vision because I had this issue, I had a coverless copy of this as a kid. So that first page of the Avengers repairing the Statue of Liberty, that was the cover to me. And that image has always stuck in my mind. And I always thought it was a really cool image of the Avengers putting Lady Liberty back together. I just really like that. Although looking at it today as a grown up, I realize there's a lot of problems with it. The scale is totally off for one thing. And like you say, she seems to be made of stone rather than made of copper, but I still love it. You know, just again, pure sentiment speaking there. I like uh, the I fact thought it was that interesting. they did that. I'm sorry. I said, I like the fact that they did that when the Statue of Liberty being damaged was in a story that they had nothing to do with them. I, I, I like yeah. the tying the, the universe together that way. Mm. Yeah, that's really neat. I'd forgotten that because that's the very first, you know, as you start the story, they're telling you that they're repairing somebody else's damage. I thought that was really cool because I always just assumed they were repairing damage from a prior issue of the Avengers. But no, they didn't even have anything to do with it. I thought that was kind of neat. Like you say, it it lends into that shared universe that, that you know, we love so much. Um, This was that era when Cap had super strength. I like that he, he references that in there. Um, but the big thing with this, I, I, you know, I remembered that little bit of romance with with Scarlet Witch and Vision at the beginning, and that's why I picked the book. But I hadn't actually reread this in many years, so I was pleased to find that the the story carries throughout. That it really is that you know the whole issue is really their story. It's all about them, and that was pretty neat. But the other thing beyond the that you know that opening splash that I really love, the other thing that has always stuck with me all these years from when I was a little, little kid is the scene with cap in the letter. I, I, for somehow I had just about memorized that letter in my head. Cause I read this issue so many times, but I always love that. You know, the, the first two panels on page six, with, six with uh, cap crushing the letter and then throwing it into the fire where he says, uh, I don't know about your God, but a God of love is mine." I've always liked that. And, and it's always stuck with me all these years. I just thought that was really cool. Um, you guys mentioned it before, but I think it really bears repeating uh, bottom of page. The last panel, page 10, Thor is beating the holy hell out of those guys with his hammer. I, I mean, yeah. that would kill 
You would think that would kill an ordinary mortal the way he's just wailing them with his hammer. That is that's pretty cool. But it shows his uh, his disdain for Nazis. So I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I specifically noted that too. That those guys have to be dead. <laughs> Especially the, the well, it looks actually it looks like the hammer hit each of them in the back of the head. So yes. both of them should have skull fractures. Yeah. And and not only should they have skull fractures, but their brains should have like <laughs> flew out of their heads. Because I mean, this that's you, you'd have a skull fracture if I hit you with a hammer. Uh, you you should have a lot worse than that if I hit you with a mystical Oru hammer. Yeah. <laughs> and and you're built like uh, an Asgardian uh, god, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, I, I I do find now, Cap's a little cranky old man in this in this episode too, because like <laughs> you know the, the Wanda and Vision start making out there, and then so he says like, "Hey, I know I got super strength, but you know y'all could help." <laughs> and then he's like, "Where are all these kids? Where is everybody?" He's like, "They should be out here helping me." Blah blah blah. It's like. But uh, yeah, but uh, I, I Cap's pretty funny, so in this. But uh, no, it's it's a solid episode, uh, issue, and and I and it does tie in. It actually, I don't know if we did this on purpose or accidentally, or accidentally on purpose. We've taken three books that all kind of tie into each other because at the end of this book, it it plot. Well, I'm assuming this is where Vision and Scarlet Witch take off and and quit the avengers or because it implies that anyway no 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 well it's just as she goes uh because she's because the last panel is um let me flip over here to it well that's that's the way i took it she goes she goes of course the hero never dies in the final reel she goes what are you saying because i'm saying that the vision is a hero blah 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 and but these humans only treat him as a threat even my own brother hates him and he all he of all people should know what the vision is like. All right, if it's two of us against the world, then that's the way it's going to be. But look out, world! It's like it's kind of seems yeah, it like does, it does sound like they're going off on their own. But uh, yeah. we follow this up with the Swordsman and Mantis coming on the team, and then that's followed up with the Avengers Defenders War, which Vision and Scarlet, which are part of. Okay, it just it just seemed like they were. This is where they were quit. They they were quitting because we know in the next book we read that, that they have quit at that point. So right, yeah. But yeah, so I guess it. I wondered if uh, if you guys caught there was a, a great little you know speaking of the MCU there was a great little moment here that I thought was really cool because it, it ends up happening in one of the movies um, bottom of page eighteen the that one of the human bomb guys sets himself off. And he should kill Cap because, I mean, he's right next to Cap when he sets himself off. But the explosion actually funnels up through the ceiling and doesn't catch Cap. And when you turn the page, you realize it's because Wanda's using her power to to make that happen. And that's pretty much exactly what happens at the beginning of Civil War when she stops Mm -hmm. uh, Crossbones from exploding. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Well, that's that. That's what the hex power was, right? Is black, you know, yeah. probability control and and make making unlikely things likely, you know, happen and whatnot. So, you know, so whether and we find, of course, we found out later, and as as they fully fleshed out her her power is more real uh, reality altering, but right, yeah, no, but it, it is it's a good it is a good. Now I don't know if that. 
was an intentional nod back to this issue or just this is the kind of thing that she can do so we'll we'll throw it into the into the civil war right yeah well, as Paul said, I don't know how terribly efficient uh, human bombs would be, but uh, I, I think it's a pretty ballsy thing for uh, Engelhart to have used, you know, as, as the writer on this, you know, to actually have them rigged that way. But then, I mean, they all kill themselves at the end of the issue. They all blow themselves up, which I thought, wow, you know, for 1973, that's pretty uh, that's pretty gruesome stuff. Yeah. Well, if you if you look at their motivations, they're, they're pretty one-dimensional characters, right? We're full of hate. You know, we admire the Nazis. We're you know we're we're religious zealots and blah blah blah. So it's better to die a martyr than you know live in chains kind of right. thing. So that's that's the way I like, I kind of took it. But yeah, it is for the '70s under the Comic Con Authority. Them strapping. Uh, you know, two liter jugs of, of whatever on themselves and then smack <laughs> himself in the head to blow himself up, then, uh, yeah, it is, it is a little gruesome for, for the era. So it'd be tame by today's standards, but back in the seventies, yeah, a little bit uh, over the top. So, <laughs> well, that's all I had on this uh, particular issue. Did we want to do grades on these, Paul, or sure. just keep it moving? All right, yeah, let's do grades. All right, I'll go ahead. I'll do the the first one here. Um, cover I like, but as we stated, I think uh, yeah, it, it's not the the best work I've seen by either of these gentlemen. Um, I'll say a, a a C plus. It's yeah, there's a lot of room for improvement here. It's it's a good, it's a functional cover, um, but I don't think it's near as awesome as as what's inside. Uh, interior, I, I really like the art. Um, it's not, you know, the greatest I've ever seen on the Avengers. And I don't know that Bob Brown's necessarily a great fit for the Avengers. And a lot of this, again, is probably nostalgia speaking, but I, I do like, uh, the art in this. Um, I think I'd give it a, I think I'd give it a solid B cause I, I really do enjoy it. Um, but I do think he's more suited, or maybe it's just because I'm more used to seeing him with uh, with DC characters. I think he's more suited to the DC universe. Um, but I, I, you know, this is solid stuff here. Uh, story wise, I, I thought it was a really good story. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, it's a little preachy. Yes, it's a little goofy. Yes, but I mean, it's kind of typical of the Avengers of this time. I think. Um, I will go an A minus on the story. I, I rather enjoyed it. Um, the Avengers fighting the Nazis kind of comes out of left field. Um, that was really my only complaint with the, with the narrative is just all of a sudden you turn the page and they're fighting Nazis. I almost felt like something, you know, like a chapter got skipped or something in this, but I think it was just to keep it moving and to keep action. Cause that, that really is the, the word of the day on stories like this is action. Keep it moving and, you know, make sure that they, they have things to punch. And so there's a lot of stuff happening in this. It moves really quick, um, but it was fun. And as an overall book, uh, I'm going to give it a. I think I would give it a B plus as an overall grade. I, I, I enjoy this one, and again, a lot of that might be sentiment talking, but uh, I've always had a fun spot for this one. I would say overall, like I, I'm kind of a little more harsher because I like different. I have different aesthetic. So that I lean towards, I'd probably say it was a 
uh, a solid C, C for the the cover story. Uh, you know, art interior art probably a a, a B B minus, and then overall the story was a B minus. I say overall, I say give it about a B minus myself, but that's just me. It's just because because of, of the three books that I and I'm also grading on a curve, realizing the other three books, the other two stories we read, they're going to get higher marks from because of other other factors so of the three i put this as at the at the lower lower end of the of the three but it's definitely you know it's not a it's not a bad read i've i've, I've read worse so it's it's gonna be on the marquee <laughs> I've, seen, I've read worse <laughs> i've read worse there's a it's <laughs> like like I say it was the, with the Nazis I just I kind of interpreted those the other gen, generic Nazis were were the the minions for the bomb Nazis so they were just all the same fighting force uh, that yeah, that could be yeah so yeah. Uh, the cover I don't want to downgrade my grade based upon the fact just that I hold them to a higher standard. I want to prefer, I want to give them the same standard I would anybody else in rating the cover. So I think the artwork is actually average, which would be a C, but I do think it's a particularly striking image, and it's very memorable. Uh, so for that reason, I'm going to bump it up to a C+. The interior art, um, there's points where I like it and then there's other points where it just seems just not very clear or not very well done and you know as you mentioned some of the uh, perspective on the Statue of Liberty is kind of off um, again I'm not a big Bob Brown fan but I don't want to make the, my level of fanhood the rating on it I just feel like it's it's kind of average overall I think so I'm going to say a C on the interior art uh, the story Again, it is a little heavy-handed, but I think it's it's engaging and it's uh, it's pretty easy to read through. So I'm going to say uh, I'm going to say a B on the story, but I do feel that this book, with on a whole, is better than the sum of its parts. So even though I gave it a, a what is a C, a C plus, and a B. I'm going to give the story overall a B plus, or the book overall a B plus, because I really did enjoy it despite my lower grades on things. Awesome. Well, good. I'm glad you guys liked it. Yeah, it's classic. It's classic comic books when they actually make comic books that were fun to read. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so. So our next book, we're going to jump ahead about 10 years, which had a cover date of February of 1983. Uh, it is Vision and the Scarlet Witch, issue number four of their four-issue limited series. Uh, as I am occasionally doing because I am just pressed for time, I'm stealing a synopsis from the Marvel Wiki. Um, but before that, the cover by uh, Rick Leonardi shows Magneto, front and center coming towards the vision uh, coming towards the reader excuse me with uh i don't know if he's flying or if he's jumping or if he's teleporting or what exactly he's doing but he's coming towards the reader and then on one side of him is the vision and crystal and on the other side is the scarlet witch and pietro and it says revelations 
the title of the story is Please Allow Me to Introduce Myself, which is a direct referral to the Rolling Stones song Sympathy for the Devil. Uh, the story is written by the late, great, or is he not actually late, unfortunately? He's, he's no, just, no. But by the great Bill, Bill Mantlo. I'll just leave it at that. The sad, uh, sad great Bill Mantlo. <laughs> it's penciled by Rick Leonardi. The inking is by Ian Aiken and Brian Garvey, colored by George Russos. And the synopsis is as follows. In wandering the area of Wondergore, searching aimlessly for answers to a mystery from his past, Magneto comes across the home of Bova and stops for a respite. In reminiscing, Bova lets slip that she acted as midwife to a woman named Magda and that her children still lived. Magneto suddenly becomes violent and presses her for the children's names, making her realize that he's the husband that Magda had fled. Magneto uses his power over the iron in her blood to force her to reveal the names, Wanda and Pietro. Realizing what it means, he leaves immediately, and all Bova can do is compel the nearly insensate Modred to cast a spell of warning for the children. The next day, the Vision and Scarlet Witch pay a visit to Attilan to visit their infant niece and to have the Vision's arm restored by the Inhuman's advanced medical technology. Wanda and Pietro receive Modred's warning in the form of a dream, but it still doesn't prepare them for Magneto arriving stealthily on the moon and trapping the family within Crystal's home. Magneto claims he has only come to talk, but the enmity he has sown from the former Brotherhood members and Avengers draws them into battle. Though Magneto initially holds back and tries to explain himself, the combined assaults of Quicksilver, the Scarlet Witch, the Vision, and Crystal make him increasingly desperate and violent. It's only when Crystal calls a stop to the fighting that might endanger her daughter that he gets a chance to say his piece. He reveals he is Wanda and Pietro's father and that he has recently reconsidered his stance against humanity. Learning that he now has a human granddaughter has made it clear for him that it's time to forget his hatred. As Magneto holds baby Luna, surrounded by his family, they all wonder where to go from there. Now, I read, I had picked up this miniseries when it first came out and read it, and I thought it was uh, very well done. It was, it was in an era where I thought miniseries needed to have something to say or they didn't make them. Uh, and then eventually it just got to the point where they were just kind of throwing things out against the wall to see what would stick. But I think this is before that. Uh, it's, it was kind of understood for a while that Magneto was Vision and uh, Vision, Quicksilver and Scarlet, which is the father. They had kind of given you clues from that in the X-Men. Uh, and this was, you know, just kind of the big reveal that it actually was the case. It wasn't shocking at the time, because you kind of always knew it anyway. Uh, but it was just kind of cool to see it come full circle and see them, you know, come to that reality. Uh, they have since, I think, retconned it to change it and then retconned it back again, where they said he wasn't their father, then he was. But, I mean, clearly, based on the continuity at this point, he was the father. Uh, there, there's, like, no question whatsoever. Uh, they did have, you know, a stretch where before this, where they tried to make it look as if uh, the Wizard was their father, or along with uh, Miss America. But you know, then then they went right. to this. 
Um, in fact, I think it was issue two of this miniseries that had the wizard in it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I just like this overall. Uh, Rick Leonardi, I go hot and cold on his artwork sometimes. And, I mean, we'll talk about grades later. I'm not crazy about it on the cover, really, at all. I don't like the way he drew their faces or anything. But the interior art, I'm much happier with. I feel like it sets the mood for the story well. I think it, it you know, shows there's, there's good like emotion on expressions on people's faces. I think the storytelling is well done and, and occasionally dramatic. Uh, and and I, I just feel like, you know, the interior art is far superior to the cover art. Uh, and overall, I really enjoyed this book. The only page, I got to say, the page I didn't like the artwork on is the final splash page because everybody looks weird based on perspective and their faces don't look quite right to me. But otherwise, I enjoyed the artwork inside the book. <laughs> what do you guys think? Go ahead, Scott. Oh, okay. Oh. Uh, I enjoyed the story. Uh, it was it was pretty basic. I I have never been a fan of the High Evolutionary or the one or Wondagore. So Madame Bova and all the rest the rest of the of the Wondagorians and stuff. They just they don't do it for me, but on the flip side, always been a fan of the Inhumans. So anytime Inhumans in the are in the book, even you know as a passing, that that's cool, right? So uh, I'm I'm a big fan of the uh, the Inhumans, but like the story, you know, the story is good. Like it, it's a complete story, which is and and this uh, this is indicative, I think, of of the 70s and 80s that we're losing in the modern era uh, is because. It tells a proper story. It's not. It's not just, you know, hand wavy. Okay, yeah, this is ha- happening. Okay, well, you're so and so, and then, but you, they kind of imply that we don't know who, like, who the white the white wanderer is coming into this, into the into the, Wondegore's house, you know, Bova's house, and then she he takes off. They don't really explain how he gets to the moon. Really, but uh, you know he's the master of magnetism, not of, of other things. That's, they always kind of overamp uh, Magneto's power, anyway. I think in, in, as, as a rule, but because he's the master of magnetism, he's not the master of metal and and everything else. But there's some, you know, there's some good family dynamic kind of things. He shows up, he, he sneaks in there, overpowers the, the Inhumans. Uh, city almost too easily and gets and gets in there and then and of course they do what everything they always do is they fight and then he's well I'm your father and blah 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 and I wanted to see my granddaughter and it's like you know back and forth so it's it's a okay it's a good story uh, I'm not I'm not crazy about the art in general I like I definitely agree with the uh, what you said about the last page it has some wonky looks but there's some other wonky uh uh, splash screen, you know, pages and panels in in here that it's just, eh, it's passable, but it's not fantastic. But it's a good, but the story all all told, it's it's good, right? It's it's a it's a family of story and and them going to see their niece, you know, Juan and Vision going to see their niece, uh, Pietro and and Vision sort of reconciling because it's it's been noted that Pietro does, hates the Vision. 
et cetera, et cetera. So, and then having their father come in and, and sort of try to reconcile everything together is a good family story, you know, even from a dysfunctional family kind of view. Uh, uh, view so, but it is, a, it is, it is a good read. It was a good story and it's a good read. There's a lot, lot of uh, reading in it too. So. <laughs> Um, I'm going to probably sound like a broken record, but, uh, I, I have such a sentimental soft spot for this issue. I bought this one off the stands and to this very day, I'm still struggling to, to figure out why. Um, I was all of 14. This is when I was first really starting to like get into co- Like I had made the con- conscious decision. I am going to collect comics by this point. And I, I think I just bought this because I did buy all four issues. I think I just simply bought this because it was there. It was on the rack. Um, you know, this was back at a time, you know, at least in my life, there were, you know, there weren't any comic shops yet. You know, you were kind of at the mercy of just whatever was on the stands. And and because comics were a lot less expensive then, uh, was much more willing to, you know, risk my hard-earned money on things that I, I had no idea what they were just because it might look interesting. I, that's that's the best I could tell you. I really don't know why I bought it, but it's been a favorite of mine for a long time. And I haven't read it, uh, you know, reread it in a long, long time. So this was neat. This was, you know, this was a walk down memory lane. And I, I'm glad it, it held up, at least to me it did. Uh, I still really enjoyed it a lot. To my mind, I'm pretty sure this was my introduction to a whole lot of Marvel lore. I'm almost positive this is the first time I ever laid eyes on Bova, probably Modred the Mystic 2, maybe even Magneto, I'm not sure. Um, this definitely informed uh, everything I knew for a long time about like the Magda part of his backstory and all that. Um, and it was mind-blowing to me that he was the, the father of... Uh, of Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch because I knew them from the Avengers. But again, I, I don't, th- this is very likely the first time I met Magneto. I'm, I'm not positive on that, but I think it was. And so it, it was neat, you know, feeling, feeling like, you know, I, I was there when this happened type of thing, you know what I mean? And so it was cool from that aspect. Um, probably the big shocker for me looking back at this is if you had asked me who did, you know, art wise, who did this issue? Um, I might've said like Keith Pollard or something. I never would have guessed Rick Leonardi. And looking back at I'm shocked that it's him because full confession, I don't like his stuff, but I'm, I'm not terribly familiar with him. And, and if you ask me to name something Rick Leonardi did, I would always go to Spider-Man 2099. He did the first 25 issues. And I think the thing that, that kept me from buying the entire run of Spider-Man 2099 was his art. I just didn't like it. His, his style had changed a lot by that point. And I, I'm not sure how I would describe it, but it's not clean. Like, this is very clean. I really like the look of this art, and maybe a lot of it's the inking. I'm not sure. But it's very clean. It's very rounded. It's uh, It reminds me, it, again, I, I, it reminds me of Keith Pollard. It's like 
take Keith Pollard and like earn early um, Michael Golden and kind of blend them together. And I think that's what you've got here. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. And I really, really like the art in this. Um, and I, again, I would have never guessed that this was Rick Leonardi because I, I think of his stuff as scratchy and rushed looking. And uh, yeah, I just, I really don't care for his latter stuff, but this is, this is nice. This is really good stuff here. I, I really like this art a lot. And for what it's worth, just kind of shits and giggles, uh, I shared an image with you guys of uh, Mighty World of Marvel, which was a UK title. Um, issue number four of that reprinted this story and I think some X-Men story as well. I used to have that for the longest time when I was a kid. That was the only foreign comic I owned. It was uh, that issue, and it just happened to reprint this in a, in a slightly larger, and I can't remember if it was black. I don't have it anymore, but I want to say it might have been black and white. I can't remember, but uh, but it was just neat to have it, you know, in a in a form, you know, in a different format that was you know printed for a for a foreign market. I just always thought that was cool as a kid. You know, now today I have many many foreign comics, but back then, you know, as a young kid, that was kind of a neat idea. I think I picked it up at like a yard sale or something. Um, last thing I've got on this is just, uh, to come back around to, uh, to Bill Mantlo, um, for those that aren't aware, and this is straight off the Wikipedia page, but I just feel it, it bears mentioning, um, Bill Mantlo is still alive, sort of. So Bill Mantlo, an incredible writer. Um, I have gained such an incredible respect for this man over the years as I've checked out, um, a huge body of his work. I mean, he did the entirety of Rom Space Night, he wrote it from start to, he basically created that character's universe uh, in, in the pages of that book. He wrote it from start to finish. Uh, the Micronauts, he created Rocket Raccoon. I mean, the guy, the guy was a powerhouse in comics. Um, unfortunately, on July 17th, 1992, he was struck by a car while out rollerblading. And it was a hit and run. The driver drove off. Um, he's never been found to this day. Um, Mantlo suffered severe head trauma. And uh, according to his his brother, um, Michael, still to this day, takes care of him. And Michael described the injury uh, in his words. It was uh, Bill is and has been trapped in a world of confusion and despair since his accident. The cognitive uh, deficits he suffered have left him unable to reason or understand his situation, and he struggles daily to maintain control over his own mind. For someone with his intellect and imagination, this was the absolute worst type of injury that could have ever have happened to him. And that's it's just so sad. It's just so as sad. As an aside, uh, I you know, people know that uh, years back I lost a brother, uh, and I don't want to make too much of that but when that happened it was fairly early in my facebook days uh and for whatever reason i reached out to michael mantlo who i found on facebook and i engaged in a conversation with him about brothers and that kind of thing and i found him to be a very engaging and someone who i respected very much so Absolutely. Just to, you know, I yeah, he's, he's in it. 
he's an amazing guy. He really is. And, uh, you know, to this day, I mean, he, he takes care of his brother and that's, I mean, just an amazing amount of love and, and devotion to his brother in, in that situation. But it, it is so sad. Um, but you know, to, not to bring the room down. Um, I, one thing I thought was really, really cool is, uh, back a few years back when, uh, the guardians of the galaxy movie was coming out. Um, Marvel actually went to Mantlo and gave him a special showing um, in the facility where he lives uh, just for him so he could see the movie because he created Rocket. And I always thought that was class. You know, that was a, a real class act for them to do that, to remember him and to reach out to him like that. I, I thought that was really cool. Oh, definitely. You're right. That that would be that would be uh, right. Right great thing to do and, and and you know we we sometimes speak ill of of big corps like marvel and disney and and whatnot just because some of the things they do but then you have these other times they don't they don't broadcast them they don't they just go out and do something nice for one of their fellow you know writers artists what have you or just a you know a small a small thing something that would be small to everybody else but it's meaningful, like, you know. Like, and I, I kind of even think of back to Christian Bale during uh, the Batman when, when in the when they had the shooting in there in the, at the theater. That no press tour, no no hype. He Bale and whoever just fly out and visit them in the hospitals. Right, the the survivors didn't have. He didn't have to do that. He, it wasn't his fault. He had no. Re- he had no reason to do that, but other than just going out and just being compassionate to to some people. So, you know, say we say what we, we often see the bad is every once in a while. It's nice to uh, note the good. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I would encourage anybody. I, I know this has nothing to do with our topic, but just while we're we're talking about it, I would encourage anybody. You know, if you have any interest. Uh, in Bill Mantlo whatsoever. I mean, I give the highest recommendation to two runs of his that I think are absolutely amazing that you can easily collect on the cheap, um, you know, out of the, the 50 cent bins is uh, ROM Space Night and uh, The Micronauts. I, I've completed runs of both of those books, and I don't think I paid more than a dollar for any issue uh, of the entire run of both those books. And they're both friggin' amazing. I mean, he just took the the basic. I mean, basically, he was handed a toy and said, "Here, write something about this," and created universes that uh, Marvel continues to mine to this very day. Oh, and I yeah. think that that's yeah. awesome. The guy, the guy was a hell of a talent. Hell of a. Oh, talent. oh, we, I would I would gladly join you for a Micronauts uh, back to the bins because I that's one of, that was my one of my favorite toys growing up, and that's one of my you know favorite series because there was some stuff in there that was punching way above its weight class when it came yep. to when into a property so absolutely yeah i'd be I'd, I'd love to yeah we'll have to make that happen yep for sure so so is what else we need to say about the uh this one uh grades and paul go this was paul's books paul okay. goes first on grades as i said i'm i'm not really very happy with the way the characters are drawn on the cover um I, I don't like their 
their facial expressions. I don't like their positioning on the cover. I, I don't really get the way Magneto is drawn, like, I don't know, firing into them somehow. Uh, and is that the moon behind him that they're supposed to be standing on? I, I don't <laughs> even know. Uh, so I, I, I'm not crazy about the cover. The only thing that it really has going for it is the characters that are on it might make you say, hey, I want to buy this because I find these characters to be interesting. But I don't think the drawing is particularly interesting. So I'm going to say... I'm going to say it's below average. I'm going to say a C- minus on the cover. Uh, the interior art, on the other hand, I'm very happy with. So that's kind of surprising that, you know, same artist and, you know, usually they, they put their best foot forward on the cover. Uh, but in this instance, I'm going to say, I'm going to say a solid B on the interior art. Uh, and, and I'm tempted almost to say a B plus, but there's a couple of images that I'm just not crazy about, so that takes it down to just a B. Uh, and story-wise, yes, it's kind of concluding or bringing us to a conclusion that, you know, we kind of already knew, but I think it does so in a pretty entertaining way. I think there's a lot of character moments in there, and I think it's really well done. So, you know, Bill Mantlo, again, you know, he, he was a master. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say just a, straight out a on the uh on the uh, story uh the one thing i don't like is they quickly retconned the detente at the end away and they made it you know that oh they kicked him out after that and whatever they didn't you know they didn't go on to develop a relationship which i think i would have preferred uh but that's a story by a different writer for another day overall i will give this book a solid b now, real quick, I, I just wanted to ask you, you said, I, I, and I wasn't aware of this, so I'm not, I'm not trying to contradict you, but you said that this story ended up getting retconned out and then later retconned in. Are, are you talking about the thing of Magneto being Polaris's father as well, and then how they kept going, yes, he is, no, he isn't, yes, he is, no, he isn't, or, or was did they literally retcon this story out for a while? Um pretty confident unless i'm mistaken that in recent days not not long ago they retconned this out and they said no they you know the i think it was you know when they when because marvel didn't have the rights to the x-men so they decided oh, they were right. going to you know disconnect vision and uh, scarlet witch and pietro from the x-men somehow and and they they changed it so that magneto wasn't their father uh, but I think, um, and again, I'm not very up on current day Marvel, but I think they've re-retconned it, so now he is their father again. I can understand I, from a business point of view why they might do that if if they were looking at the long term and, and maybe not having access to the X-Men in the comics for a while. But just because I, I you know, this is such a, a touchstone issue of my childhood that that really pisses me off. I don't, you know, don't mess with the classics. And this one to me is, is something of a classic. So yeah, I'm glad it's back though. If it is, you know, back in, in continuity, cause I think it deserves to be. Yeah. See, I see, I was under the impression that they wreck right now. Wanda and Pietro are not mutants anymore. They're, they were some sort of uh, high evolutionary, um, modifications like they did so kind of keeping in line with the Marvel universe the cinematic universe but not but not quite 
So it because they had, like I said, they had to differentiate that between from the mutants because they didn't have access to mutants. That's why, like in Agents of Shield, they use Inhumans um, and Terrigen Mist as what creates the creates the Inhumans, but really there really would be mutants in most cases. So I thought they had retconned that he wasn't Magneto was not the father. You know, and we and really need to get a, a whole episode or a whole issue just dedicated to Maury Povich. Just no, straighten all this out. You are not the father. But, you know, because you know, first it was Wizard and then it was Magneto. Now, then it was and they didn't tell the Wizard that he wasn't the father and blah, blah, blah. But uh, I thought uh, Blake and I had been talking about that. And I thought we had found out that, no, the they, they had to separate them from being mutants again so they were modified by the high evolutionary or something uh and created like that that's why they're they're so they're not quite part of the 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 mutant family so to align up more with the marvel cinematic but that's they they can do whatever they want doesn't just because they change something and you know try to retcon something doesn't make it true in, in, in your heads i'm sorry Wanda and Pietro have always been the, mute, the mutants. They've always been Magneto's parent, you know, children, as far as I'm concerned, along with Polaris. So the three of them are brothers and sisters. And uh, as far as the 616 goes, that's the way I, I'm going to take it. Yeah. Now, the, the Ultimates universe, we won't even talk about that because that's a another mess for another day. But Because uh, that just gets icky. But, um, now, who is who is Polaris's mother? That wouldn't be Magna too, right? No, I don't. Uh, I don't think. I, I don't no, think she was ever said to be her mother. I'm not sure no, who she, was. No, she. They're they're half. They're half siblings. They're because I, I don't know who Polaris' mother is, but but I just know that uh, she, she is. You know, Magneto's because for for a time she was Magneto's only. Uh, acknowledged offspring so but yeah I mean really look look at Quicksilver even before this ever was revealed look at Quicksilver's face and hair and look at Magneto's and you're going to tell me that they they didn't kind of want them to be father and son all along well well, and, and that's even brought out in that issue you just reviewed so mm-hmm. yeah, Wanda, Wanda points yeah, that she, out. Yeah, because she she points out Rayos. You look like you're like him. You got the same hair, blah blah blah. And then Magneto says, "Well, and you look just like your mother." Oh, okay. So okay, well then. What's the, that line so, from History of the World? You look like a horse's. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. I, I don't know. I, I don't think I ever saw History of the World. Um, <laughs> Some yeah. something for you to do. Oh, uh, yeah, I'll have to watch that. But it took me for the longest time just to see, uh, this is a sidebar, but to see The Gods Must Be Crazy. I finally got around to watching that a few years ago, and it's like, <laughs> that movie, well, the first one was really, really good and funny when you, once you figured out what what they were doing. The second one, eh, it wasn't as good, but the first one was really was really properly funny. But anyway, that's, just, that's neither here nor there. So uh, so I'll give, I might as well go give my... Rating. Right. I, 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 overall, I would give that this whole that whole episode or issue a, a B minus. You know, like the story B. You know, art C C minus or well C plus. But uh, 
uh, like, but I pretty much agree with what Paul said. It's there's some janky panels, but overall it's not bad. So you know, it's, you know, it's decent. So you know, overall, I give it a B minus. It was good. It was definitely a uh, it was definitely a good read, and uh, it, you know, there's some some story there's some story arc and there's some some character progression in it so when you look at their all the stories that are theirs if stories that really progress a character tend to, tend to be well can be well done so well i've got to try to switch to my object objective classes because uh yeah i i have such a fondness for this one just because it was a, a, an issue i really loved from my childhood and uh, and i have you know, warm fuzzies for it, but uh, I'll, I'll try my best. So looking at the cover here, I really like the cover. Um, the only thing on the cover, honestly, that I don't like is uh, Crystal's face. And that's simply because um, in the post, um, oh, God, what was that big cosmic event, Paul? Um, the one that, you know, created the, gar- you know, the newer Guardians of the Galaxy. and Annihilation? Annihilation, thank yeah. you. In the post-annihilation uh, Marvel Cosmic Universe, I really fell in love with Crystal. There was a story where she ended up marrying Ronan the Accuser, and I found their little subplot romance thing, I found it fascinating, and I really, for the first time, kind of discovered her character and found her interesting. And I couldn't tell you the, who the artist was, but there was one artist in particular that just made her gorgeous. And I really fell for her. And looking at this, it's hard to believe it's even the same character because she's not gorgeous at all in that. But that's really my only quibble with the cover. Otherwise, uh, and again, I know this is probably just sentiment talking, but uh, I consider this something of an iconic cover of the 80s myself. Yeah, so, but you that's, know, that's you. You you had 90% of your books had no cover. yeah there you go (laughs) um but honestly i think i'm gonna go uh i think i'm gonna go an a minus on this cover i really like it a lot i think it's a very solid cover um interior art um i i I know this is really sentiment talking because i'm not really crazy about this particular art style there is a lot of it that's wonky there's a like way overuse of like zipatone and stuff in it but it's just it's hard to be objective about it because I, I just I read and reread this issue so many times and just, you know, I, I really dug it so much. Um, objectively, I think I'm going to go I think I'm going to go a B minus on it, though, because there is some wonky anatomy. Um, the coloring's a little bit strange. But overall, I, I really do dig it. I, I think it's pretty solid, and I, I'm shocked to discover who it, you know, who the penciler as, actually is on this. Because again, I don't have the highest opinion of his latter day stuff. Um, story wise, I think the story is solid. I really like the story a lot. It makes me care, and it makes me interested for characters that otherwise I don't really like. I've never been the biggest Magneto fan, and I pretty much. I won't say I hate the uh, the Inhumans, but I really never liked the Inhumans. It really wasn't again until that post annihilation stuff that I even warmed up to them enough to where I could I could read a story with them. I, they just never did it for me. But here everything works. Everything's interesting, and I, I think part of it is because the, the Inhumans are there, but 
they're not the focus of the story. It's it's really the story of family. You know, it's it's Scarlet Witch, it's Pietro, it's Magneto, and and Crystal, and uh, and I really like that, and it it works. It's it's kind of sappy and it's you know kind of sentimental, but it works. I really enjoy it a lot. Uh, and it is a shame that, uh, you know, them all coming together and finding each other at the end, that that really didn't stick at all. That Magneto goes back to his human hating ways, you know, pretty quickly after this. He kind of devolves as a character. Um, but story wise, I think I'm going to give it a straight up. Um, I think I'd give it a straight up A plus. I, I really don't have any qualms with it. I mean, there's there's nothing in there that that seems wonky or weird or or anything to me anyway. Um, but again, I'm not horribly versed on on all these characters and all their lore. These these guys are you know all C listers to me. So you know again, I'm I'm kind of mystified as to why I ever picked this up in the first place. But I'm glad I did. I I, I enjoyed all four issues of this particular miniseries. So. Overall great on this one. I think I'm going to go uh, an A minus just because of some of the deficiencies in the art. But overall, I, I think it's a really solid book. I, I think it's a classic and in, in, you know of the '80s. So there you go. You're probably like me. Uh, even if you weren't enjoying the series that as much as you wanted to, you're complete. You're probably complete as and would have had to finish off the series. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. That's 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 how I you know. Collect, I tried to collect the first ten of anything new back in the day, and also if it was, it was a miniseries, collect the whole miniseries regardless if you're really enjoying it or not, because you don't want it to be incomplete. So, yeah. So that, these, uh, these days, I'm not near as you know, I, I'm not near hung as hung up about things like that. You know, if I'm not digging it with, I mean, with the cost of books these days, oh, yeah. you know. If I'm not digging it, you know, after two or three issues, then that's it. But back during this time, I mean, a book had to really suck for me to drop it. I mean, it had to be like just horrible for me to finally go, nope, I, I'm going to I'm going to drop this because, yeah, yeah. I did, you're right. I didn't want holes. And I, you know, I wanted to I wanted to feel like I was gleaning all of the story, whether the story was any good or not. So, yeah, yeah. You're right. it's, it's, it's kind of like me with movies. I'm. I would. I'll sit through a movie. You know, I might not like a movie, but if I went to see in the theater, I'm going to sit through it, even though I might feel like move, leaving. There's only been one movie I've ever left the theater, and that was Bram Stoker's Dracula, just because I did, I just was not. I it just it just wasn't doing it for me. But the only other two I've ever came close to, because I was just bored out of my mind, and it was just one of the two of the worst movies I've ever seen, was Ghost Rider: Spirit of Vengeance. The second one, oh, God, we, I, I sat through because mainly we were going to re, we, we we were reviewing with John and Man of Steel. I was so unbelievably bored for Man of Steel that I just I wanted to leave, but I was my wife and I were watching it and she was enjoying it more than I was, so I just fine, I'll watch it. But it's just it, you know. And I I, I expect you're not a big Man of Steel fan either, knowing him. Never seen just, it. Uh, well, there he well. You wouldn't. You're, knowing that you're a Christopher Reeves fan, I, I can almost be positive that you you will not like Man of Steel. But, but <laughs> me too. <laughs> but uh, oh, I just wanted to mention. You know, we were talking before about uh, you know about things with Wandavision and all. I, you know, I, I don't know what made me think about it, but uh, you know, for the most part, I've been very content to just let the show unfold. I, I haven't really. Spend a, you know, I, I know that there's been great debate all over the internet. What's happening? You know, where's it going? You know, what's going to happen? Blah blah blah. 
to me, you know, this is one of those things I'm I'm fine to just watch it and let it unfold the way it wants to unfold. And I'm just along for the ride one way or the other. But if I had to have a wish for the show, you know, something I would like to see by by series end is I hope the word mutant does get bandied about at some point. I, I'd like that to actually I mean, if, if that's where we're headed with this, if that's where. You know, the the Pietro that popped up, if that's really who he is and everything, then I, I want to see them embrace that. If, if they can now legally bring all that in, then, yeah, I, I want to see that word bandied about. And yeah. I wouldn't mind, um, I guess technically it would be considered a bit of a retcon, but I'd be totally fine with the retcon that uh, that Wanda and Pietro were mutants as opposed to, you know, they, they gained their powers through Strucker's, you know, yeah. fiddling around with the, uh, with the glow stick, you know? So. Yeah. <laughs> Which brings us to vision and Scarlet, Witch number three in a 12 issue limited series, the glow stick. Oh dear. <laughs> so, which was which was my book, so it was it was the Vision Scarlet Witch Volume Two, uh, Number Three, and twelve inch, uh, twelve issue series. The editor was Jim Shooter, cover artist and penciler Richard Howell, writer again Steve Englehart, inker Jim Mooney, colorist Janet Jackson. I don't think it was that Janet Jackson. Um, an editor uh, Jim Salkrup, Salkrup. I don't know. Yeah, I think Anyways, that's but right. That's, that's, yeah, 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 that's right. We'll, we'll go with that. What, what's he going to do if we get his name wrong, right? So we'll <laughs> go with Salad Group. But, uh, yeah, so this obviously start, it starts out, and I'm going to I'm going to embellish the synopsis on Wikipedia just so I can just stay together. But uh, it starts out, um, the Salem Seven have recovered their powers, previously um taken away by Agatha Harkness and they've captured her and they're burning her at the stake uh, to claim their status status as the supreme witches of New Salem so that you know so they're uh, they're they're burning old Grant Grammy at the stake so um, Agatha, Agatha Harkness uh, should mention that she has at this point trained Scarlet Witch in use of her hex magic and taught her some real magic so she can actually she's more than just Scarlet Witch in, in name only she's has a bit of uh, she can use her magic and mutant abilities together so um, so so after the, uh, the the victory over the lethal legion in a previous issue uh, Vision and Wander are walking through the the, country, the Rocky Mountains in Colorado uh, to discuss their future and possibility of having children. Uh, whereas, when Vision's synthoid uh, physiology can't reproduce with a biological woman, so kind of makes it difficult. If one, you know, you're, you're, you're how am I going to say this? If you're shooting blanks or don't have any ammo in in the chamber, kind of thing. So, um, <laughs> well, he he he's not a real man, dude. He's a he's a he's a he, as we said earlier, he's he's a sex bot. So, um, so they stumble across New Salem and are ambushed by six of the Salem Seven. Uh, 
led by Vertigo, and of course we've got uh, here we got this, the Salem Seven being a group a coven of witches: Vertigo, Thorn, Bruticus, Hydron, Vacuum, Gazelle, and Reptilla, and, and they're just typical. I don't know. They're they kind of look like I thought they were Wendigorians at, at first myself, but then real, then they're just mutated witches, or or they use their power to mute them, mutate themselves. So. They they attack Vision and Scarlet Witch. Vertigo, Vertigo knocks out Wanda um, with her powers, and Vacuum drains Vision's energy. And then they both awake. Then they awaken in a uh, cage a cage with a hex with hexes on it, which blocks her ability to get out. And uh, Vision is still inert because he's he's at very low power. So because he's been drained and. Uh, we see how that resolves itself towards the end of the episode. So they're doing a lot of talking about um, uh, this and that and how much she loves him, blah, blah, blah. She's whispering in his ear. And Gazelle, who had previously chosen to be sacrificed, who was, who was chosen to be sacrificed for opposing the rest of the rest of the coven's plan to entrap the couple, uh, she's, she's in another cage and she's listening to to want to just go on to the vision, whispering one uh, vision's ear while they're in the cage. And, uh, gazelle had initially accepted to, to accept her fate and refused to help, but changes her stance on actually hindering Wanda after over, overhearing her pour out her heart to the vision who, uh, who's been playing Pat possum. He, he, he still has a little bit of, of juice left in him just, to, but he's just lying there inert waiting for, the sun to rise because they're they're going to sacrifice you know burn them at stake at at dawn as opposed to at nighttime when you know you could you could have a weenie roast and and enjoy the bonfire but um the next morning at, after gazella's sacrifices so they do burn her torch they, they send her up in flames they bring them out and uh the sun the sun comes up recharges vision vision and they attack and uh so they're fighting against the 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 seven vertigo is channeling all of new salem's magical energy to attack but vision counterattacks force her lose control of it and the mystic force goes just goes crazy uh threatening to destroy the town wanda steps in uh because the ghost of agatha harkness appears to her and says telling her telling her not just to channel the power but to use it and so she she directs the power towards a mountain blowing the mountain up and uh and explosing explodes with energy things have calmed down and the town is heavily damaged and the witches have all but disappeared and uh wanda is isn't herself isn't sure how she used the power but in the final in that final instant but time will tell so basically i kind of and this is what i kind of got the gist of in that book is she used at least a portion of that uh, burning mystical energy to make herself pregnant at that point, because she, the way she, because you know they had been talking about having a kid earlier in the ep- in the issue, and then toward and at the end she's holding her ha- hands on her belly, kind of thing, and just well, I don't know what I did, but I did I did I do what I think I did, and kind of and that indicates that she may or may not have used energy or. The magic to make herself pregnant so yeah that's that's how i interpreted it as well yeah. and i'd never read this 
mini uh, – this is actually a maxi series. This is 12 issues. Yeah. I never read this. I remember when it was coming out and seeing it on the stands and being really disappointed in the artwork on it and passing it up for that reason. Um, so I, I think I – I, I think I have since collected all the issues of it, I think, but I've never actually read it before. Um, so I had to cheat after getting to the end of this issue and look ahead to see if I was right. And you, you're right as well, uh, Darren, that, yeah, she is now pregnant as a result of whatever you know magic spell she does at the end of the issue with the energy and everything mm-hmm. and she actually ends up giving birth to her twins in the very last issue of the series yeah the uh the i don't mind the art in the interior art the cover art it's yeah it's passable but i, I don't think it's it's nothing right right home about by any stretch of the imagination but like that's why i looked at the the Salem Seven in the background. That's why I thought the ones I could see were kind of one. I thought they were one Dagorians originally, but not realizing that I just because it's been. I I know I know very little of the of that group. I just you know like everybody, I collected them all the official handbook of the Mar- Marvel Universe and uh, so read their article in there. But other than that, you know, I'd never seen them in in action because so I don't I don't know if I picked this up way back when. Because uh, this was actually a December '95 or '85 issue, so that's when it was first released. So I would have been about 16, working at uh, co-op, and and now I do know there was there was comic book stores at the time, but I don't know if I picked up Vision. They, I was mainly into Spider-Man, Superman, and uh, X-Men at the time, so not a lot of Avengers. But what about you, Paul? No. I had bought this one as it was coming out. Uh, and I don't know why, but I only have four issues of this series now instead of all 12, which I had purchased. So I'm not sure exactly how that happened. Uh, but I, I remember reading it through and, and being fairly entertained by it. Um, you know, I look at the artwork in this particular issue, and I think it's, uh, it's to me, it's almost a definition of average. It's not particularly good. It's not particularly bad. It doesn't really stand out one way or the other. So I feel like, you know, it's 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 average, and I don't mean to give my grade away so early, but that's kind of what I'm doing, I guess. But I, I enjoyed the story itself more than the artwork, I think. I think it was it was fairly well written. Uh, I think it had, a you know, an arc over the 12 issues. Once again, like I mentioned with the last series, I think this is at a time when, you know, they didn't just give you a series because we thought your, your, the character was popular and will make money. They used to, mm. I, I think back then they, they wanted you to actually have a story to tell, which right. I prefer. Uh, but, you know, like, I, I enjoyed this this issue. I enjoyed this series. Yeah. The uh, the miniseries tended to be a character, you know, a, a, a set of book, comics to, in, to uh, develop a character, to flesh them out a little bit, which you couldn't do in the span of a regular book as a rule. Right, like, well, if you and if you look back in um, miniseries or maxi series of that era, there was a real good Nightcrawler one. Um, sort of helped with his character. You had, the, of course, Magic, which fully fully explained Leandra's uh, history, whether you like you like her or not. That that pretty much summed everything up about you need to know about her, sort of thing. How she 
went from a little tiny child to a teenager all of a sudden and, and whatnot. And, uh, right. Yeah. So, so other characters like that, there was some a good Kitty Pride ones that were really helped her flesh her out and make her a little more noticeable and, and rec and, uh, fleshed out. So, so I think you're right, Paul. I think that to, a, to some degree, uh, it wasn't just to make money. It was, it was either, it was to tell a very specific story or, and I think if we looked, in large terms, we'd probably find that there was a lot of character development stories in mini, in these types of miniseries and maxi series. So, and they usually dealt with characters who didn't otherwise have a platform of their own. D- didn't have their right. own books. They were ensemble yeah. cast. Yeah. Then yeah. then they got you know miniseries crazy, and you'd have you know Spider Man in four different series at the, at the same time, plus two different miniseries that were coming out. Yeah. And the same yeah. thing with Wolverine and the Punisher. And, you know, I mean, when you think about the first Wolverine miniseries, it was kind of a landmark thing. Uh, and, you know, we covered it a few years back as a score episode. Uh, you know, it opened the door to his having a solo series, a solo ongoing series. I think it was more of, you know, almost like a tryout at the time. You know, let, let's see how this character does as a solo character and you know it took off mm. hugely but it also opened the door to abuses of the miniseries and the series yeah. in general yeah yeah, that's, that's, yeah. That's i true. like this i like this era of of the marvel now again this is a maxi series but i like this era of the marvel miniseries or, or limited series as they would call them for that reason is that, you know, you were, you were getting characters that generally otherwise didn't have their own personal platform. Um, it was, it was kind of a fun mix between, you know, that, you know, a, a chance for this character to, to shine, you know, in this story, but also it was an opportunity to, uh, you know, look at some stories or, you know, expand some stories without tying up, issues of whatever it was that they were appearing in at the time. Like, you know, you mentioned magic. Uh, I just read that for the first time. Uh, I'd never read it before only because I'm doing a read through of new mutants Mm. and she just, you know, she just literally pops into the new mutants with a reference to that mini series. But if you don't go read that mini series, you're completely lost on who the hell this character even is. Yeah. So I went and I read the miniseries and it does a nice job of, of fleshing out that character in that without tying up pages of either Uncanny X-Men or New Mutants. And it's a good thing because it wasn't really that great of a read. So, you know, he didn't spend four months of, you know, two books that really were kind of money makers, you know, at the time mm. for Marvel, you know, Uncanny X-Men and New Mutants with this kind of lackluster miniseries, you could just have that be its its own thing. And they, and they did a lot of that sort of thing. You know, some of them, you know, had better returns than others. But I liked that before, you know, as Paul said, before all of a sudden they kind of glommed onto it and realized, oh, we can just pump these things out willy-nilly. And then it, it lost its magic, you know, when it wasn't... Um, you know, either ones that were kind of small and charming, like Vision and Scarlet Witch, or some that were kind of epic, like uh, uh, Contest of Champions. You know, I still hold that up. I mean, that's that's yeah. a great book. I love that. You know, but it was a it was a nice little self contained thing, and you know, I, I kind of missed that. I, I liked that era of uh, of the miniseries. Yeah, 
Like, oh yeah, but like, like you, Captain America never needed his own miniseries because he had his own books. Everything right. you ever need to know about is about Captain America is going to be in the Captain America books. Same with Spider Man. Like, like Paul said, at one time Spider Man had four books out every month, and Wolverine was the hardest working superhero in in the business. <laughs> right? right? He was in every book. Right. You know, he was in his own book, the three or four, the the all the X Men books, and three miniseries besides and he was always guesting in this month and the guy you know the guy's working 80 hours a day kind of thing to to, to get it all in but um but spider-man you didn't need a, a spider-man miniseries because you were gonna get everything that but ensemble cast visions and scarlet witch uh hawkeye who wouldn't have, who probably could have Used his own miniseries, and he he did have his own miniseries from time to time, I believe too. Uh, Mocking, you know, um, Hawkeye, Mockingbird, things like that. They're all those guys are the ones who need their own little breakouts, Uh, and it's the same because it's the same type of thing in ensemble movies like Avengers. Right. You don't you can you don't get fully fleshed out characters in there like. Without because there's not enough time, you can't give you can't give everybody equal screen. You're not you don't have anything, but you just have a, a collection of vignettes or or a little an anthology series. Nobody wants to go to, to shell out ten bucks or whatever how much money to go to a, a theater and 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 watch a, an anthology series of that unless uh, with with the odd exception. I mean, I know there was a Quentin Tarantino anthology that. They had four separate stories in the movie in this hotel, but that's Quentin Tarantino. I wouldn't and I wouldn't cross the street to see a movie of his, but uh, that's beside the point. But anyways, can you imagine if this whole Disney Plus thing, you know, with with you know, we're going to get all these Marvel series now, but say this had happened back, like say just prior to Avengers: Age of Ultron. Imagine suddenly getting Disney Plus right about that time. I mean, that would have really been a great opportunity to expand on some of these characters, you know, and really highlight them. Because I understand we're going to eventually get Disney Plus series with like Rhodey uh, and some of these other characters that that that's really cool that that we're getting that. But imagine if it had happened, you know, just a few years back, you know, the some of the expansion that they could have had, you know, they could do basically miniseries or limited series like these old comics mm. uh, on that service and, and really, you know, tell other stories of these characters beyond just, you know, their, their little bit of screen time here and there as part of an ensemble in like civil war or, uh, you know, some of the other movies that we got. I, I, that's, that's one of the reasons I'm really excited for that service. You know, hopefully yeah. that's the thing that we're going to see. Yeah, like I'm looking forward to Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm really, you know, but to have to have Falcon have uh, having a, having a previous series and really fle- could really flesh out his character because he's he's one of the, my favorite characters and uh, I've always liked Falcon. He's always been a kind of a, a second or third tier character in the in the books. But now he's, you know, he's one of the most entertaining characters there is, and I, and I always like War Machine and and, and Rhodey, um, and I'm all, but I'm, of everything, uh, and again we talked about this the other night on our multiverse episodes and parallel universes. I'm looking forward to What If when it comes out. Yeah, that's yeah. going to be a 
a wacky wild ride because I, you know, I, I know the what, you know, I, I've always loved what if I collected the entire second series of, of what ifs. And I always liked the else worlds from DC, which are the same kind of same kind of thing. But, uh, right. to, to see a Marvel, a Marvel cinematic universe, what if story is really going to be fascinating. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. that has incredible potential. I really do. Yeah. I think that could that could be some really good stuff. Yeah. I'm like, what if the what if Captain America the the Super Soldier Serum failed? So you know, <laughs> could you could you imagine if Captain America didn't you know ha, had been a failure, how everything would have turned out? I mean, yes, the Allies right. still won the war because they wouldn't have had Erskine to to uh develop the the super soldier for the, the germans but you still would have had red skull uh who who was there and then and of course how would have how would have uh, uh the first avengers movie turned out if he hadn't hadn't been there to to lead everybody so and and what and what have you so that's that could be a very interesting things if they if they do it right but and we haven't let paul talk in a while so what do you Paul, Paul, well, I was I was enjoying listening to what you guys had to say about it. Okay. Um, <laughs> quite quite frankly, I mean, I'm looking forward to those Disney series as well. Uh, you know, so far the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I include the Disney, you know, WandaVision now in that because it is part of the same oh, shared yeah. universe. Uh, they, as far as I'm concerned, they haven't had a misstep yet. I mean, uh, there's some I enjoy more than others, but I enjoy every single thing they've done. I I yeah. I started watching Inhumans and I, I I need to go back and finish it just because I'm a completist, but the Inhumans I I think they did make a tremendous misstep with it. I mean I I think they were trying to tell one type of story in a universe that with people that don't understand who the fully understand who the Inhumans are and what their struggles are. So I generally uh, don't consider the Inhumans as part of the whole process i don't you know i don't know if that's fair uh but i found that series to be i I don't want to go as far as to say i thought it was really good because i didn't think it was really good but i thought it got blasted more than it needed to it probably did i mean look at the first two episodes of wandavision getting blasted for being boring and this and that it's like well you guys just need to buckle down and hang on because and this is true and when i'm reading a novel I always give it the first hundred pages. I'm saying I'm going to stick with because I, I often find the first hundred pages. If you can get past that, the story that's when the story gets good because there's a lot of because you got to get through the setup and the and the establishment of the characters and the the little bit of the necessary universe building to do that. So I always try to give a, a novel at least first hundred and some odd pages before I say, nah, this. This novel novel's going nowhere for me, and 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 discard it. But uh, now it's been a while since I've read a, a novel, and I probably should get back to it because I used to like to read. But um, that's that's what I, so I, that's what I find. I always have to watch the first couple shows, uh, at least to get the third or fourth episode in before I before I say, yeah, I'm going to really enjoy this, or no, I'm not. Uh, and that's that's true of anything. The first, so the sooner it grabs me, the better, of course. But but uh, you got to give it a you got to give it a fair shake to, for them to work the bugs out. So, 
All right, so I guess it's time to rate this one. Okay. Darren, it's your book, so you go first. Uh, uh, You know, like I said, I I didn't mind the art. It's not it's not the best I've seen, but it's definitely not the worst I've seen. So I would give that as I would give it a solid B myself. Uh, Cover being uh, uh, C plus because because Wanda looks a little bit ridiculous on the front cover. But uh, but again, the story it's a it's a complete full story. They tell they tell a, a compelling story. It's and it's there's um, character development with Wanda. What they're talking about the fir- the first the episode the issue they carry on to right to, at the end they pick it back up. So story wise, it you know it's a, I think it's a solid B rate across the board, art and uh, and story together. So. Maybe even a B plus if I was, if it wasn't uh, getting close to my bedtime. <laughs> uh, I had never read this before. Uh, like I said, I passed it up when it came out because of the art, and uh, my my opinion on that sadly really hasn't changed with the years. Um, now, there's nothing wrong with the art. Um, I like Richard Howell. Um, I remember him actually kind of fondly from All-Star Squadron, um, but his stuff's not the most dynamic in the world. It's it's very workmanlike. I mean, he gets the job done without being particularly flashy or, or you know, anything like that. Um, so it's there's nothing wrong with it. It's just it's a little bland. And then he's partnered for this issue with Jim Mooney who again I like but you know this this uh, you know this is an evening for artists that are that would be better suited to to DC in my opinion cuz I look at Jim Mooney and to this very day I can't help it I look at Jim Mooney and the first thing I think is Supergirl cuz he did the Supergirl backups in the Superman books for so long that that's just that's his art style to me. I look at it and I instantly think Supergirl. Um, even when he was working on Spider-Man, I thought Supergirl whenever I would see Jim Mooney. And, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing because I, I like a lot of those stories, as silly as they are and everything. But, you know, this is this is a pretty heavy story dealing with some heavy concepts and everything you know there's some real risk going on you know it starts that you've got an old lady being burned at the stake for christ's sakes you've got all these freaky monsters and everything you've got you know they're dealing with witchcraft and dark magic and you know they're going to execute somebody you know there's all this stuff going on and it has richard howell and jim mooney's very cartoony dc style and it just doesn't it just doesn't really fit it's it, it's a it's a late silver age dc art approach to something that should have been a little more sophisticated and, and a little more cutting you know 80s of course cutting edge by this point so i'm sorry i, I kind of think it's an art fail on on that level the art doesn't match the story you know the tone well, of the story that that is true. I, I you uh, probably would you have wanted no. I just sorry for interrupting, but would you have wanted a little more like the magic style of dark art? In may, this yeah, story? 
Yeah, maybe. I mean, that that book, I'm trying to remember who was on that. I know Tom Palmer, I think, inks most, if not all of that. So like Tom Palmer, I know at least one issue of that was was Ron Friends and Tom Palmer, which is a pretty damn good combination. And it had, you know, it had a good dark, you know, it dealt with like hell and demons and, and you know, witchcraft and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it, it had a much more sinister feel to it which i i mean i don't know if you'd want to take this that far dark but i think this needs to be darker than it is for the tone of the story that you're dealing with and it just looks i mean i know it's marvel characters but if you weren't familiar with this i mean if you knew nothing about these characters you weren't terribly familiar with with uh marvel but you'd grown up, you know, with Silver Age DC, this this would feel very familiar to you. And that's that's what I get from it. It, it feels it feels older than it is because it feels like Silver Age DC uh, art wise. So, yeah, it's like I say, there's absolutely nothing wrong with the art. I just don't think it matches the story it's paired with, unfortunately. Um, so on that level, I don't care for the cover at all. I really don't. Um, I'm going to go, I'll, I'll go a C plus to be generous on the cover interior art, nothing wrong with it. Um, but it's just, eh, it, it's just kind of there. So again, I, I'm going to go a straight C on the art. It's right down the middle average. And then the story, eh, I mean, the story was okay. It, it didn't really do anything for me. I, I didn't feel as invested in this as I did with like the prior series, but I do like me some Steve Englehart. Um, I'm curious what ever happened with this whole story. Cause I know Agatha Harkness comes back. So is it one of these, like she got better situations? I mean, being burned at the stake seems like a pretty definitive end to a character, but I know that you know we we get her back at some point, so I'd like to know how that all worked out. Um, so yeah, well, story she, wise, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, she no. is a witch. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> so how do you know she's a witch? I'll, 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 <laughs> <laughs> she looks she like one. She turned me into as a, newt. a duck. <laughs> she turned me into a newt. There you go. That is the proper answer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, um, I'm going to go a B on the story and an overall grade for the book. I will say a C plus to be nice, but yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty run of the mill. I thought, um, I, I think you kind of hit it on the the head when you said, you know, the artwork is a kind of, it's kind of bland. I think it's, it certainly tells the story and it's inoffensive. There's nothing where I look at it and I think, Oh my God, that's horrible. It's just kind of bland. Uh, and I, I think that's true for the interior artwork as well as the cover. I think that it, it's, it lacks a certain dynamism that I would have liked to have seen. Uh, but I don't know if I would have wanted it to be darker. I know it has witchcraft and all of that, but you're also finishing it up with, you know, that, that she's getting pregnant and all of that. And it's supposed to be kind of, I, I, I think it's supposed to be kind of the, you know, the vision in Scarlet Witch's suburban life almost throughout this miniseries. You got to remember that this is part of a bigger story than just this one issue. Right. Uh, right. So I, I would have liked to have seen more dynamic art, but I don't know that I would have wanted to see darker art. Um, I would say, you know, based on 
that definition alone, the artwork is a C. Um, as far as the story goes, I found the story to be entertaining. I'm going to give it a little higher. I'm going to say a B- minus on the story. And overall, I'll make it a C-plus book. Cool. Now, I'm curious, Darren, why did, why did you pick this particular one? Uh, I, just, I don't know. Uh, I was just looking at them, and for some reason I recalled this being of some importance, and I don't know why. To be, it's just it. Something just was nagging at me. I I knew I wanted to review something from the the twelve in the twelve issue limited series because I had remembered um, seeing it or picking up because again that's this is mid eighties. This is right, you know, early in in my uh, collecting days kind of thing. A couple of years into that, so I don't know what drew me to this one. I just because it had to do with Angela Har- or Agatha Harkness, and because oh that I, and maybe and uh, maybe I even looked up was taught re- researching things that were related to WandaVision, and I knew this somehow tied into it, and it was the pregnancy aspect of it. Um, that's what piqued my curiosity about it. So I think I maybe did a search. I I honestly can't remember how I how I got got there at this point, but it, I think either I looked <laughs> up something and it said. You know, this this mentions or this talks about Agatha Harkness and this is death of Agatha Harkness and possible pregnancy or, or whatnot. Uh, but uh, the, and I wanted to do that because I wanted to, to, to know a little bit more about Agatha because in WandaVision, to, to sort of cap, cap where we 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 started, Agnes is. The the, pro, the the trending theory right now that Agnes is Agatha Harkness, mm-hmm. so she she is actually manipulating Wanda to some degree, or she at least knows what's going on in in West in Westfield. Like she's the only other one who knows what's right. going on outside the, outside the rest of them. The rest of them are all uh, uh, mind controlled uh, sword agents. Vision's not controlled, but he but he's Obviously, messed up, all kinds of messed up right now because he's technically dead. And but Agatha or Agnes seems to know what's going on with it with with uh, Scarlet Witch. So that's interesting. Yeah, I had not heard that theory, but that that's interesting, and that actually could play into another theory I did hear <clears throat> that uh, you know there's the guy that kind of temporarily snaps out of it in the office there with vision yes. and he's saying something about she he's talking about so she she's she's hurting me or she's controlling whatever the guy says mm-hmm. and i guess there's been some speculation that the she that he's talking about is not necessarily wanda that it right. may be somebody else in you know that's that's exerting this influence over everybody including wanda and that's that's interesting so it, it yeah. you know it and and the only, the only other and and if Agatha or Agnes is Agatha or Harkness because Ag, you know it could just be a a nickname or a shortened name or slightly changed whatever, um, then those would be the only two people that could be affecting everybody inside because because they have abilities that the other ones don't. But well, beyond those of Mortal right. Man. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's a different show. Uh, yeah. Exactly. So, 
but uh, no, otherwise I, I now I will have to watch that tomorrow night. My wife and I, as soon as like as soon as I get off work and we have we have supper, I think we're doing our Valentine's Day because because she's watching the the grandkids on on Sunday. So uh, either tonight or tomorrow night or tomorrow night or, or Saturday night, we'll be doing watching WandaVision and getting caught up on some, you know, watch a movie or something. But, uh, yeah, so, ho- so hopefully we'll get some more answers, uh, this week, which uh, uh, I'm expecting to. We will. Yeah. All right. So I want to take a minute and thank you, Darren, for coming on with us and joining us this week. This was well, fun. And yes, I appreciate you. you taking the time for us. Oh, no, I, it, it was a lot of fun to talk, talk comics Dan, because honestly, I had not been reading comics, like I, you know, I used to for for years. The only thing I'm collecting right now, and this is really more of obligation than anything. Even though I'm enjoying the story, it's not the story I would be telling if I was in charge of, of it. Is Legion of Superheroes? Long live, long live the Legion! And they're, you know, they're always my when when everything else falls away. I still have my Legion of Superheroes. So. Um, that's that's really the only thing I'm reading, and then and I'm reading old trades of uh, uh, GI Joe because those are still they still hold up all those old Marvel GI Joe. Like, the, <laughs> and speaking about another toy property that where the where the comics bat way above their you know hit way above their weight class, GI Joe the, the the comics far you know far exceeded they they don't they helped push. The, the G.I. Joe toys for as long as I did for, I think, for a lot of people. And I'm on Facebook groups that still have, you know, G.I. Joe trading groups and everything else because it's still in demand 30-some-odd years later. So, you know, G.I. Joe trades, pick them up or whatever, or the singles, whichever one you prefer. So, now, the listeners will probably hear this episode first, but Paul and I actually just recorded a uh, an episode that included some GI Joe in it. So now if was, this episode does air first, then they have that to look forward to. Yeah, for sure. Now, what what uh, episodes or what issues? I, I'm sorry, I keep saying episodes when I mean issues and issues when I mean episodes. <laughs> oh, we do I, I, do I don't know why, thing. but. Um, yeah, we covered uh, number twenty-six, the first part of the the secret. Uh, yes, yeah, Snake, Snake Eyes. Eyes. Yeah. Oh, that's a that was a classic. Yeah, there was that one. Um, that I mean, that's a, that's a high water point for a wide watermark for GI Joe. And also, there was the the silent ep- issue when there was no no dialogue in it. It was just art. That was another not another big one, and so I want to get through get through the whole story, and I want to get back. I want to get up to the the late the the late runs, like the 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 80s, 90s, hundreds, where where they actually started killing them off. It just you know they they started cleaned house and and killed off Dusty, and they killed off a whole whack of them. So, oh, see, I did. I wasn't even aware that they ever did that. Oh yeah, oh yeah, the tours. Once, once the toy line ended, they they went, and uh, the kid gloves were off, and and there wasn't none of this, uh, you know, always parachuting out of the airplane, you know, the uh, the fighter jets, when when they get blown up, right, on either side. They, I I think Dusty, I'm sure it's it's Dusty or or his or or one of the other guy or one of his buddies, one gets killed. And the other one hauls him all the way back to base, 
and he said, uh, and they said, why, why did you do that? Like you, this guy's been, you know, cause he says, Oh, save him, save him, save him. And he goes, this guy and doc says he, or it might've been doc or lifeline, whoever still alive at that point. He says, this guy's been dead for hours. Why, you know, why did you haul him back? It's, and basically his, his response was because his mom wanted me to, or would want, would want, have wanted me to. So and it was just, it was, right. it was quite something. Yeah. So definitely uh, go pick those up and, and go back and work on your GI Joe run for sure. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, I've got to head to bed. So. Yep. We're going to go ahead and wrap it up for this one. But uh, again, as Paul said, I, I want to thank you for coming on with us. It was good to talk to you again. It's been far too long, my friend. Yeah, it has, it, it has, but uh, I'll definitely, uh, I'll definitely have both of you guys on the show. Once we get, Blake and I get back in the the the, the good continue the grind of it and uh, work some of the bugs out because we're just gonna sort of shake off the the cobwebs and stuff. But we'll we'll have you on talking about comics and this and that and the other things. So, yep, sounds good. All right, and I'll and I'll send you a link to uh, to the the podcast once we get a couple more episodes up. So you, you know if you want to pimp it out for me, and I'll do the same for you. So you know, absolutely. All right, man. But thank you guys for having me on and because uh, it was a pleasure. And uh, you guys have a good night. You too. Take care. Thanks. Night. Thank you so much for listening to our show. And we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks. And we'll see you next week. Still there, Paul? Hello? Paul? Hello? Oh, there you go. <laughs> I was going to say, are you still there? Yeah, I think I was uh, I was muted out for some reason, but whatever. <laughs>